0: Good morning, Platt Park Church. So nice to see you, sort of. Uh, Those who are here and those who are online, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. We certainly did. It was small, just four of us, but we... I made enough food for an army. I mean, it really doesn't matter how many people you have, you just end up making all these dishes, and then there's just a tremendous amount of food. But it was good. It was good. I made it all. It was delicious, so... Well, today, I kind of feel like Kendall Hinton. Huh? Any of you know who he is? Anybody? Anybody? Ah, Rich does. (laughs) He is the new quarterback for the Broncos. Yeah. Right? The guy is the wide receiver stepping in in the quarterback's shoes. And that's kind of me today. So I hope that I can do. I hope. uh, We'll see how he does. I'm fascinated. I'm going to definitely watch it. So... (laughs) All right, well, so today is the first day of Advent, and this is a period of time dedicated to preparing spiritually for the birth of Jesus. So I'm going to walk us through a part of that story today. And for that, let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, beginning in Chapter 1. If you'd like to grab your Bibles, that's fine. Luke begins his birth narrative with this really fascinating story about a couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zachariah was a godly man, and he was dedicated to his role as a priest. He and his wife, Elizabeth, were both descendants of Aaron. Aaron is the brother, was the brother of Moses. So he was called into the priesthood by birth. Zachariah and Elizabeth lived in the Judean hillside, and there he served the local community as a priest. They had a very good life, but they had no children. They wanted children. They had prayed for children, but they had no kids. It would be a miracle for them to have children at this point because Elizabeth was well beyond childbearing years. Well, thousands of priests lived in Israel, and they served their local community like Zechariah, but they also served at the temple in Jerusalem. This was a vast complex, and each day it took about 300 priests as volunteers to come and do all the work that was required at the temple. The work uh, included things like performing animal sacrifices, and cleaning up after the animal sacrifices, managing all the burnt offerings, keeping all the lamps filled with oil and lit, and refreshing uh, the burning incense throughout the complex. This is basically all the duties that you took on if you were running a vast temple. And the priests would come to Jerusalem to serve in a two-week rotation. Well, in about 6 B.C. or so, Elizabeth and Zechariah traveled to Jerusalem for Zechariah to fulfill his two-week tour of duty. Each day, Zechariah would get up and he would take a ritual bath and for cleansing. And then he would get dressed in his simple priestly garb. And all the priests wore the same thing. They wore white pants, white linen pants, a white linen tunic, a rope belt wrapped around their waist, and a hat. And after getting dressed, Zechariah would make his way to the temple, to one of the larger rooms in the temple complex called the Chamber of Hewn Stone. And this is where all the priests would gather in the morning. And during that morning meeting, they would draw lots for their assignment for that day's duty. So at dawn, a spotless lamb was killed, and a portion of it was burned, for the morning offering, and then they would say prayers. Well, one very special morning, Zechariah drew the lot to replenish the incense that burned uh, on the altar in the holy place. Now, drawing this lot was literally like winning the temple lottery. Very few priests were allowed to enter this holy space, it was inside the temple proper, next to the Holy of Holies, the very place where God resided. This was as close as any priest ever got to the Holy of Holies, because only one priest was allowed in the Holy of Holies, and that was once a year on the Day of Atonement. Well, Zechariah that morning, he collected the incense that he needed for his chore. And he headed in to the holy place. Now let me describe the holy place to you. You walked into a long and narrow room. It was sixty feet long, and thirty feet wide, and it was three stories tall. The only illumination in this windowless room came from twelve lampstands that stood on each side of the room, each with seven candles. At the very back of the room was the altar of incense. It stood just in front of the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. This was Zechariah's destination. Now his task was simple enough. All he had to do was to take the incense, put it in the bowl, light it, say a prayer, and leave. This same task had been performed by hundreds of priests, over the centuries that this had been done. But this day was unlike any other day. And Zechariah was not like any other priest. Now, while he was performing his duty, Zechariah realized that he was not alone. The angel Gabriel now stood on his right side in front of the altar. And here is what happened. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to many. To you and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Now, of course, Zechariah was afraid, of course, he was gripped in fear. We see this in the Bible all the time. When angel, whenever an angel appears to somebody, they're startled and they're afraid. So, I'm just going to stop our story for one minute to tell you a little bit about angels. After all, this is the season of angels, right? We see them all over the place, thousands of them everywhere in our Christmas decorations. So angels are unique beings created by God, just as he created humans. And angels are separate and distinct from humans. They were created all at once. Angels do not reproduce. Tens of thousands of angels live in heaven where they serve God in various ways, but primarily as messengers and helpers of humankind. Angels warn people of danger. They guard them from evil. They guide and protect people, and they even nourish them. Sometimes angels appear just one, and sometimes they appear by the thousands, as they do on the day when Jesus was born. Now, there are only two named angels in the Bible, Gabriel and Michael. The the two appear to have sort of special divine directives, and Gabriel's is basically serving as the chief messenger of God. Why Michael acts as more of a warrior. And Gabriel is a very prominent uh, figure in the entire nativity story because he comes and he delivers a message to Zechariah, to Mary, and to Joseph. Okay, so back to our story. Now, Gabriel tells Zechariah not to be afraid, Because God was about to answer he and Elizabeth's prayers. They would be blessed with a son. Indeed, their son John would be unique among all men. And here is why John was so unique. He was sent by God to be the prophet of Jesus. He would serve as the bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he would bring the people back into relationship with God. But there is one other reason why John is unique among all people. And that is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Now this alone makes him unique among all people. Because we are filled with the Holy Spirit when we give our lives to Jesus Christ. From that moment on, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. But John was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Now, Zechariah was stunned by what he was hearing. And so he asked Gabriel the obvious question. He says, how can this be? I am an old man, and my wife Elizabeth, she's well along in years. Well, I love this portrayal of Zechariah because even in the presence of Gabriel, God's messenger, he has doubts, right? He had prayed for this very thing to happen for years and years, and yet when his prayers were answered, he still had doubts. And isn't this just like all of us? We know that God is with us. We know that he is always working for our benefit. And yet, even when he answers our prayers, we still doubt. It's just so human, isn't it? So Gabriel replied to Zachariah, and here's what he said. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I have been been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until this day happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. So Gabriel makes it pretty apparent to Zechariah that he has this special status with God. He stands in the very presence. Of God. He delivers God's messages as requested by God. And he also has these unique powers that we learn about. He has the ability to render Zechariah mute. Now, I don't want you to miss something that's very important about this story, this part of the story. This takes place in the holy place, a place that is closest. The closest place on earth to where the presence of God resided, the Holy of Holies. The first temple was designed by God. It was built by King Solomon. It was designed to be the very place where God would reside with his people. And now God's messenger, Gabriel, was sent to the temple to deliver an astonishing message God chose to reveal this part of his plan of salvation to a priest in a place of supreme importance among the Jewish people. And we can take from this that God was including everyone in his plan of redemption, both Jews and Gentiles. Well, after Zechariah's encounter with Gabriel, he and Elizabeth went back home And indeed, Elizabeth became pregnant with John, just as Gabriel had said. And she kept her pregnancy a secret for five months. And during the sixth month of her pregnancy, she had a special visitor, her relative Mary. And Mary was there for a very special reason, which I will tell you about in a minute. Just six months after Zechariah's encounter with Gabriel, God sent him back out from heaven to earth to deliver another message, this time to a young girl living in Nazareth. And here is Luke's story about that event. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, what do we learn about Mary from this passage? That she was a virgin who lived in Nazareth, who was pledged to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. By revealing her status as a virgin, Luke ties this event back to Isaiah's prophecy about a coming savior, a Messiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. Now, Gabriel speaks to Mary telling her that she is highly favored or graced by God. Well, let me tell you this about Mary. Mary was not chosen to be the mother of Jesus because she possessed some particular piety or holiness that others didn't have. Luke suggests quite the opposite, that Mary was an ordinary young woman. You see, the emphasis of this story is not on Mary, but on God's sovereign choice. And yet, of course, Mary is a symbol of true obedience to God, even under extremely difficult circumstances. Mary would not be alone in her journey about what was going to unfold, but God would be with her every step of the way. Gabriel then delivers his message to Mary, the message he came to deliver. He says this Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Well, just like Zechariah, Mary was deeply troubled at the sudden appearance of Gabriel. But Zechariah delivers God's message with a five-fold description of her son, Jesus. He will be great. His greatness is in contrast with the rest of humanity, which, as we know, is sometimes not so great. His greatness is absolute. Jesus will be called the Son of the Most High. And if you boil this all down, what it means is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus will sit on the throne of his ancestor, King David. God will give Jesus the the throne of King David in fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Now, this clearly depicts Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. Thus, like David, Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus' kingdom will never end. The kingdom of God is realized in the coming of Jesus, and it will be consummated at the second coming of Jesus, and it will continue forever. Well, after hearing all of this, Mary responded with a simple question. How will this be, since I'm a virgin? So Zechariah explains how the unexplainable would happen. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said... To be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. So Gabriel's response details the physical and spiritual mechanics of how a virgin becomes pregnant with the Son of God. The Holy Spirit, as the agent of conception, would come upon her, and she would become pregnant with Jesus. Now compare this to John the Baptist. John was conceived naturally, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit while he was still in his mother's womb. Jesus, on the other hand, was conceived by the Holy Spirit. Thus, Jesus, from the moment of conception, was both fully man and fully God. So Mary's demure response to Gabriel shows her submission to God's will. I am the Lord's servant, is what she says. Now, after her encounter with Gabriel, Mary was eager to visit her relative Elizabeth. No doubt, seeing Elizabeth would confirm to Mary what Gabriel had told her. And she does go and visit Elizabeth and Zechariah at their home in the Judean hillside. Well, we have come to the end of our story for today. But I highly encourage you to read the entire Nativity story in both Matthew and Luke's Gospels, as a way to prepare your heart for the miracle that is the birth of Jesus. This story is so ingrained in our minds, and yet we tend to forget all these very little important details about this story. It really is an amazing story, isn't it? We have these two women, these two miraculous births, one to a young woman who is a virgin. We have the appearance of God's messenger, Gabriel. We also have the pronouncement for Gabriel about what is going to happen. The nativity story reveals to us the depth of God's involvement, bringing Jesus to earth. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born both fully God and fully man. When he was born, the entire heavens rejoiced. God sent Gabriel to communicate to Zechariah, Mary, and Joseph about what was going to happen. God protected the holy family after Jesus was born, when their life was at risk. And all of these details and many more speak to how intricately God was involved in bringing his son our Savior, to earth. If this story is true, and I believe with my whole heart that it is true, ask yourself this question. What does it mean to you? Because I believe that the incarnation of Jesus into a baby boy is the greatest miracle ever performed by God. And it was done out of love and a desire to To save us from our sin, I believe that Jesus is God's answer to the problems of this world. And even though He's not yet ruling the the earth, as He will be when there is a new heaven and a new earth, His kingdom exists on the earth today, and we are part of it. I hope you will take this time over the next 27 days. To fully consider what the birth of Jesus means to you and really to the whole world. And if you want to know more about this story, please join me beginning this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock via Zoom, where I'm going to discuss the, all of the details of the Nativity story for the next three Wednesdays. You can email me at Sandy at Platt Park Church and I'll send you all the materials. So let's close with the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus. And we take this time over the next few weeks to consider what it means to us that you did that and to consider the story of his birth and what a miracle it was. We just pray that in this busy season of life, that right now we would just recall this story And think about what you did for us. We ask you, Lord, for us to focus this Christmas on the true meaning of Christmas. The fact that you sent your son, Jesus, as our Savior. We pray this in your name. Amen.